This is Shaka Wart Speak. Hey, welcome to Shaco Art Speak. I'm Ryan Letario with my host, Gareth Blackwell. Yes. Dr. Blackwell. That is true. And a little bit of a <clears throat> curveball there. Yeah, just throw it off a little bit. <laughs> Keep you guessing because you, you all know what he's really called. Well, so we'll I'm not going to say it. I was at your house the other day and uh, at least three times your children referred to me as Uncle Snacksmell. Yep. It's completely all morphing <laughs> together. <laughs> I love it. It's great. And your weird fetish with peanut butter and Dorito oh, yeah, yeah. Um, sandwiches <laughs> has impacted other listeners. Oh. So I have a listener named Caleb, and I wanted to share the story with you. Yes, I haven't heard this. He had, he's really excited about it. Dude, I think he's going to try it. I hope it's springing up in yeah. my chest. Yeah, so he's. I think he's going to try it. So Dude, here's the thing he Caleb, mentioned. I yeah. want to speak directly to you right now. Yeah, <laughs> this you, is your conscience speaking. You are on the right track. <laughs> yeah. So he said he has a friend who likes hot Cheetos. Yeah. And hot and like warm ham sandwiches. Mm, I can <laughs> like when you say warm ham. Yeah. That's so, such a I think he said warm ham. Like, Sorry, like Caleb, ham I can't remember. Been left out or like a, yeah, that's like what a I can't think he's warmed it up. Thing. Yeah, but it's like hot Cheetos and warm ham. It's the way I like to think about it. So I'm, I think <laughs> I'm probably wrong, but I. It's like a regional thing. Yeah. And he said it's his friend. Warm ham. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. It was like beer. Yeah, it's like not, beer. it's not, it's not spicy. It's warm. Yeah. I, I like to think too that, you know, it's, uh, he, I'm pretty sure it's really his friend, but I like to pretend that he's just talking about himself. So yeah, we're going to ask him for a friend. Yeah. We're yeah, asking for a friend. for a friend. You good with peanut butter, hot Cheetos and ham? Um, I, would, I would try it once. You would definitely try it. And that's why we're bringing it <laughs> up. Dude. I'm serving those hors d'oeuvres. I'm just going to tell you right now that the jury is not really out. I think it would be terrible, but I would try yeah. it once. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, well, coming from coming from you, it means a lot. So, as, as the doctor of snacks, <laughs> trust me. Yeah, I've got a PhD. There's doctor. That's right, dude. There's the doctor. There's Doctor J, and then there's Doctor Snacks Mill. That's right. And um, me, Doctor J, and Doctor Pepper. Yeah, a good group. Yeah, it's a dynamic trio. <laughs> so anyhow, so yeah. If anybody else has any interesting combos that they're working out, or they know of friends that do, we'd love to hear them. Yeah, don't don't uh, don't feel bad. Yeah, don't feel bad. Don't deny us. Don't deny us the ability to expand our repertoire. Yeah, fly your freak food flag all you want. Yes, please. I need <laughs> things to laugh at. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> so uh, we're doing a we're we're dipping back in. Um, sorry we missed you, but hopefully you enjoyed our. Um, our brain debris episodes that are, that are microcasts, yeah. micro podcasts that happen um, most of the time off air. Yeah, and it's, it's great because uh, editing the episode took so long because I caught myself just listening to them. Yeah, like I, I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta get this put together, but I just stopped and I was like, I love these conversations. Yeah, so that's our sort of normal mode of communication in a lot of ways. So yes, anyhow, we might drop in with some more brain satellite brain debris combos. Uh, throughout the rest of the year, we'll mm -hmm. see how it goes. Yeah, but we are back, and um, we're gonna do a a, a shorter ver a shorter episode, I guess. But we're doing one on rethinking our work and conversation with others. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you know it comes from a place where whether we're really verbalizing it or not, whenever we make work. I think we are operating in the almost subconscious category of like, this is only unique mm -hmm. or that it's, it's, or it's so specific 
um, or that we're fighting with history almost mm-hmm. like we're trying to wrestle away from it. Uh, we're not trying to be it. We're, I don't know. So there's this, there's this space that, um, you know, we've had conversations lately where like, it's just, it's just not, it's not always helpful. Like it's almost a fight you don't have to have. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I think it's like, uh, or it's just, um, I'm just, you know, we were talking earlier. So rehatch a little bit of my own experiences. I made some paintings when I was first sort of getting serious about whatever that means about being a painter, you know, just kind of taking a more, um, dedicated leap. And I was making these paintings, um, in reference to these little collages I was making kind so this of is like undergrad. Yeah. Undergrad, undergrad early undergrad. So okay. uh, very early undergrad. And I was very naively doing these collages, but I was making a lot of them. And one of my professors was like, these look like the basis for a painting. And so you should try it. So I built a couple six by four foot, or I built a six by four foot panel and a six by five foot, five foot panel. And then I built two more or yeah. And so I had like this set of panels. And so I was working these things out. And um, when I did, all of a sudden, a lot of teachers showed up and were like, whoa, who are you looking at? And I didn't. I was like, I don't know. I'm not looking at any. Like, what do you mean? Who are you looking at? I'm looking at you. I see you right now. And it was like, well, no, no. Who, what artist are you looking at? I was like, I'm not. I don't. And I really wasn't. I was really naive. I didn't know. I was looking mm-hmm. at collages uh, that I was making based on junk mail. And so I started getting names assigned to me, both teachers in in my department. Oh, you must know Dave's work, or you must know Mark's work, or you must know um, Hans Hoffman's work, or you must know. And so I was getting these names and the truth was I really didn't know them. I hadn't seen them. It wasn't, it was, uh, and it was frustrating to me because I felt like immediately I was losing my sort of authorship of my work. Like I was like, oh, it's like the work isn't mine then. It's like someone else's Mm -hmm. and it was, or it's being vetted this way. And so, you know, I remember fighting that and then, and then I get these names thrown at me and then I, I think I, you start getting curious. So you start sneaking and then you're like, I I can kind of, in my immaturity, I didn't want to see and in my maturity, I can make the leap and see the connections or uh-huh. why someone would say that. And um, I had to kind of, you know, like many of us that have come through maybe a formal education in the arts, you, you may have to kind of come through this experience where you, um, whether you like it or not, other people see your work in conversation with, uh-huh. especially experienced eyes who have spoke the language. Like they they have a, a like a lexicon of images and ways and people and like a, you know, saying like a grammar for visual arts, like a uh, the way sentences are constructed, if you will, or yeah. you know the way someone um, uh, turns a phrase, and um, you know it. It was a process of coming to accept that. Like I think the way I said it to you earlier is like a dumb way of saying it. it was um, I? Uh, it's like you sincerely discover how to make a circle. Mm-hmm. You've never seen one. You just discover how to do it or the wheel, and that doesn't change anything about the fact that the wheel already exists and that other people know it and have been using it for a long time. And, and, but you can't impose your new experience onto the experienced eyes of others. Mm -hmm. And so these two things can be true, but the truth is the average sort of experienced person is going to have a hard time kind of seeing, uh, outside of the conversation they're already in with all the artists they know and have studied and heard from and inspired by. And so I think, you know, that was one of those things where I had to, I had to kind of like come to terms with that. And then it, it's matured over a lot of years, 20 years into um, me being really open about it. And, you know, I can go back and say, yeah, like I was in dialogue with these teachers and I was in dialogue because I ended up being oddly enough, you mm-hmm. know, like because then I started to go, oh, yeah, I, I like that work and I can see how that 
influences my work and or how that can influence me and yeah i want to try what they're trying like i want to like how they make that look that way i want to try making it look that way that looks good like real kind of base level sometimes mm-hmm. conversation and i think i'm in the maybe so for me maybe personally uh i'm in the best place i could be in this season which is making what i want to make and totally comfortable with people people's um seeing the work in conversation with but also sometimes now where they don't see the conversation mm-hmm. and so they're just kind of like you know like what is that <laughs> and you're like wait what do you mean what is that like, yeah so yeah yeah i think i mean you know i'm, I'm in a different place because i didn't come through a contemporary art i didn't come through a fine art background um i think uh you you said earlier like one of the, the best way to describe it is unorthodox um so where you know sometimes you have uh, people within a, a gallery setting, like you see a, a very straight line, you know, from one point to another, and yeah, BFA, know, MFA gallery, yeah. residency gallery. So like yeah. boom, 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 and it's like, oh yeah, well that's that's the path, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have that at all. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, it's a it's a very different sort of space uh, for making and asking these questions. Um, so it's almost like uh, for me instead of like having to parse out this this idea of a conversation in the way you've described, I have to parse it out almost as like, I know I am in a conversation, but I actually don't know what that conversation is fully. Like I know what I'm making. So it's almost like, okay, I've made the circle. Now I need to figure out who else has done that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's uh, and it's a little harder. Um, well, maybe not harder. It's a different kind of hard. Let's put it, let's put mm-hmm. it that way. Because it's, no, it's no, not easier or harder. It's just a different kind of hard um, to go through that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's like anything else. If you if you're starting to learn a language, you want to find other people that speak that language better than you, so that you can be in conversation with them. Yeah, and you get to be stronger at it. Right. Um, otherwise, you know, you're off in the corner mispronouncing Spanish by yourself. You're yeah. Not, you, nothing. Nothing good's happening. So, um, you know, that's uh, I, I would say like with with a lot of the thoughts I've been going through, it's it's good to kind of process through them, especially with somebody who uh, may have more of those touch points. Uh, so you were throwing, you were throwing people at me earlier. Um, you know, hey, check out this or this or this because I think that they're maybe speaking some of the same words that you're you're throwing around in terms of your yeah. vocabulary for this. Yep. Um, and it's it's hugely helpful uh, because the dumbest thing that I could be doing in this position is to just be deluding myself and saying oh i'm doing something nobody else has done yeah 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 because yeah. then you not only do you come off as a bad maker because you're not actually being pushed on uh you also just kind of come off as a jerk yeah yeah, and yeah. I, I don't want to be either of those things right don't be a bad maker or a jerk yeah and it, and it can it, you know saying what i found is um in my earlier days you know i was a little more guarded about mine what's mine and it's it's mm-hmm. hard man like you you put a lot of work and you want to guard yours and um but, you know, there's unavoidable inner dialogue. You know, it's kind of like if you live in a, in a town and everybody has a particular accent, you may find yourself speaking in that accent a little bit more. You, yeah. It's kind of hard not to. Or if there's mm-hmm. certain words, like I remember moving from Southern California to Northern, um, there's phrases that people say in Northern they did not say in Southern. Yeah. And uh, some of them are hard not to start to adopt. Mm-hmm. There's a couple I would refuse to adopt, but... And I, and I, but I had to work at it. It was like a yeah. conscientious, like, heck no, I will not say that. Yeah. Um, and you know, moving to the South, people say y'all that 
What are you talking about? Fast. That has been assimilated. We say y'all all the time. Like, it's just too hard not to. Yeah. But there's no reason not to also. It's too good falling out of your mouth. Yeah, this works. It's like, why would I, what would really be the point of resist? It's like, it's it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think visual art is like that. You mm-hmm. put some people together in a, in a grad school, you're going to see how they potentially riff on each other even when they don't think they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So I've seen this you know, over and over again. And, and um, it's part of what I think it means to be human is, the work's often in proximal dialogue, but then the work can often be in historical dialogue. Yeah, and um, and that can be with your own uh, awareness or lack thereof. And the you know some of the trouble comes when other people come with a more open mind to that um, intercontextuality. Like these things are contextualizing each other; they're in conversation. There's and uh, it can cause you to feel standoffish. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I think one thing, I, and I've struggled with that in the past, and I'm, I could struggle with it in the future depending on how I'm feeling about something I'm making, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's like something I have to guard against. And, um, uh, and in my best days, it's easy to just let that stuff wash over you in a good way. Yeah. Like I can just kind of like drink it down and, and – and, uh, not feel like I have to be so validated. Mm-hmm. And um, when I realize that everything is in conversation with everything else in general anyways, mm-hmm. um, you know, there is nobody that just comes cleanly to their own conclusions about things. Yeah, yeah. Because you're always working with preceding tools that were someone else's before they were yours. Mm-hmm. So you're painting with brushes, you're using, if you're using English, uh, you know, if you're wearing clothes, like there's really, you, you don't arrive at, something more uniquely you yeah without it actually passing through the hands of others that have kind of given a lot of it to you to work with yeah um, I mean, I, what i was thinking through it is like i was on the same on the same wavelength with you because i was saying in my head it, it, it's almost like the world around us uh you get this uh, cumulative visual vocabulary mm-hmm. you know so uh to for an for an author to write a sentence mm-hmm it may be the first time those words are used in that order, but it's not the first time those words have been used. Mm-hmm. Those words are not yours, even if the sentiment and the particularity of them, the particularity mm-hmm. of them, and their order is. So, if there, you know, there's there's a difference between the things that an author uses to write with and what they write. Mm-hmm. And I think that that you know, I don't think you might have a problem with that. You're like, yep. Yeah, no, no, it makes total sense. But there's a weird like space of like jockeying and ownership yep. that comes into the visual arts. Where we're like, no, these are my images. These yeah. are my colors. Yeah. And it's like, but how? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you know? my thing. Tough. That combo is like, no, that's my work. And it is, and it is, it's like kind of paradoxical where it's mutual. It is, mm-hmm. it is, and it comes from somewhere. And it's um, you know, both it's it's at a minimum, it's paradoxical because they how these things are both possible mm-hmm. is is at some horizon in front of us that's hard to perceive. Yeah. Or you force it into a either or dilemma. Now it's mine or it's not. Or and it's like um, I think being able to rest in that perceived tension or uh, you know unresolvable thing is is um, is to step back and and, and kind of let the the work uh, kind of get out in front of you. You know, it's like when I because like 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 when I make food, I don't really debate on the authenticity of my authorship of the food. Right. You know what I'm saying? But I guess if I were a chef and I'm vying for 
uh, rarefied airspace that may matter more. Mm -hmm. But in order to be that kind of chef, I've had to make a lot of meals from other parts of the world, from other chefs. Like it's like something about the visual art struggles harder with that. It would seem, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and maybe, I don't know, my, our musician friends may be able to speak into this. Like this may be true in music too. Mm -hmm. Um, but I often feel like, um, you know, with music, um, there's karaoke. Yeah. There's, um, what do you call them? Um, when a band is a, like cover band, a cover band, like there's like these acceptable categories Mm -hmm. and, 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 um, some of the things I like about musicians is some of the best musicians will still, you want to hear them cover someone else's song oh, yeah. or, or recompose it. Like, I mean, there's I mean, a lot of, honestly, one of my favorite Weezer albums of recent time was the one where they covered all these 80 songs. Yeah. I liked when, when Ryan Adams uh, covered Taylor Swift's 1989 yeah. album. Like, and there's something nice about it because it's, it's taking like big air quotes here, you know, somebody else's stuff mm-hmm. and you're, you're recontextualizing it. You're, yeah. re, you're, kind of remixing it in some way. And and I think there's all kinds of shenanigans. Wherever there's humans, there's shenanigans. So yeah. we can agree to that. So like wherever there's creativity, there's ego. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of great bands broke up in a very small amount of time. Um and uh and so um I don't want to act like there's not these issues because I, I certainly believe that they are. I've had hung around music a decent amount, uh music artists. Um but there is something a, there is a little more um, comparative ease in in music, not yeah. ease of making, but I mean like maybe don't wrestle to the same level that visual artists wrestle with. And I don't know if that's a medium thing, and I don't well, even know if I'm right in saying. Dude, that. I was I was just thinking like maybe it's a medium thing, you know, because I can't even think of any equivalent in the visual arts of like a jam session mm-hmm. where you just like get together in somebody's house and you're just like playing music together. Yeah. You know, like, but people do though. I mean, yeah. it does exist. So, like, right. like I, I'll say. So, just to give you an example, like, you, like, if you, there are jam sessions, but they're like, I had friends that were all potters, and they do these huge um, kilns that were giant that you could yeah. walk into, mm-hmm. and they would just come fire a ton of stuff. Yeah. Where you'll get, you'll have things like you'll have collectives where they just hang out and paint on each other's stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've done a couple of those kinds of things early on. I don't, I don't like to do it. Yeah. Um, cause I was saying to you earlier, like painting for me is uh, personal. Mm-hmm. So it's a personal engagement and I, I rarely want to deal with anybody else's interventions on my paintings or, yeah, yeah. or also the ego of like, I don't like what you did. I'm gonna cover it up. And like, you know, <laughs> yeah. feelings can get totally. hurt really quickly. Like, not totally. like my favorite, uh, fake scene of that is, is, um, is the war, the Basquiat movie. Uh-huh. And when Basquiat and Warhol are, uh, are painting and, and like, it, Warhol's like everything I do, you cover up, Jean Michel, and it's like, and then he does something else, and he's like, "Nope, covering that up." And uh, it's just funny, man. It's like it does look better though, <laughs> and that's when he says, "You're a real painter." I, I don't think I teach you anything. Yes, he's covering. You're really his whole good, painting. and he's like doing these um, these uh, paintings where the guys urinating he says it's a really good mexican beer and he's like peeing on his paintings and then sean mattel's like piss art (laughs) anyhow any anytime i can squeeze in an andy warhol david bowie impersonation i'm gonna try do it uh no shame no shame but yeah so um so there is there is but there's something about the i don't know if it's the static field of visual art meaning when you look at an image, it's a static field in a sense. Mm-hmm. So it's not oral in, in, um, in time. As I said, there's like a malleability that difference. 
between yeah. the two. Like, like music is so like, it, like immediately malleable. Yeah. You know, where like you have to, well, it envelops you. I mean, it's yeah. like it, it, it can count, it can track your time for you. Mm-hmm. You can get pulled into the melody, even if you don't like it, you can get pulled into the, uh, the experience of the oral dynamism that's going on. Yeah. Whereas like a painting, you can come to it and close your eyes mm-hmm. and it's just not there. Yeah. It, it can't do anything to you. I, I can't really close my ears to music there. Right. I, I don't know. Stretching is too far, but I just wonder if there's something about the fact that the way the real estate of experience, if you will, with painting is like trickier in terms of the way it's shared. Like, like I could like give you an example. I can make a great painting and it could be sitting in my garage right now and no one would know, but right. I can produce a great song and play it loud enough that someone may have to come to my garage and tell me to turn it off. Yeah. Like it can reach them in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's a hyperbolic example of what I mean when I say that um, maybe it's a, it's a little more dicey when you make something because it's got to be seen. Mm-hmm. And if the person can't see it because all they can see is the references of other people that have done things similarly Mm-hmm. you know it's it's like it doesn't it, the work can't break through that cloud of um you know uh uh what, what do we call it the, the just the the conversation in the room you know yeah, the, yeah. The, the the people the voices the artists the other authors mm-hmm. so yeah I, I don't know maybe uh maybe it's actually a helpful kind of metaphor the whole idea of like a like a jam session if you think of the you know you think of our history as that jam session you know is that we get to actually come to those because most of the time when i was when i was with folks who were doing that like they're doing it to to actually learn from each other Mm -hmm. you know so it wasn't just like you were there to be like hey we're all just a bunch of peacocks in a room strutting around showing how good we are there was always a few folks like that but for the most part everybody was there and they're like wait wait how'd you do that thing Mm -hmm. what uh like how did you wait what's that chord progression like what are you doing there wait this is a this is like an alternate like pattern you're doing like how's that work Mm-hmm. So that would always be the conversation in those jam sessions of like getting together and understanding that. And that sounds a whole lot more like what you were discussing when you came into contact with some of those painters. You're like, wait, how did they make that thing? Yeah. I want to know how they did that. Yep. Like it sounds much more like, you know, the 14 year old kids learning guitar with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and th- but that also is like a really like, I kind of like that as a mm-hmm. beautiful picture of like, you know, you're, hanging out with your friends and you're just like learning how to play an instrument because you each know a little bit mm-hmm. and you're pushing on each other in different ways. And the next week you come back, your friend's going to have two more chords that you didn't have. Now you're going to know those yeah. and you're going to push some more and you're going to grow. And there is going to be a, there's going to be a feel. Everything's mm-hmm. going to be kind of similar. And so you look at I mean, you take like the Beatles, for example. Mm-hmm. All right. So two to three of them were playing music. since so they were like 14 or 15 together. So of course music was kind of easy to them by the mm-hmm. time they were in their mid to late 20s and early 30s because they've been doing it for 15 years together. They've been so a part of the same conversation with each other mm-hmm. that what was coming out was more than one person. Here comes my buns. So I said, that's what I say when we make buns. Here comes my buns, I said. <laughs> and my kids sing that with me. And then, yeah, but I was singing the other day when I was there. Yeah, we're just singing about making buns. People think we're talking about like a butt, but I'm talking about buns. <laughs> Here comes my buns, <laughs> <laughs> little bacon. <laughs> some, yeah, you were like, maybe we'll have some more satellite brain debris. <laughs> maybe. Maybe we'll throw that in there somewhere. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, fifteen minutes later. <laughs> but yeah, I. <laughs> but I think it's so it. dumb. <laughs> that was so dumb, everybody. I'm sorry. That was so dumb. Y'all, he's he's not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm deeply conflicted. <laughs> but I think you know, like you have folks like that, and you're like, oh, it makes sense why they were making what they were making. Right. But then you look into the like art history canon. And you look at some of the folks who were doing the same things, and you're uh-huh. like, "Oh my gosh, these folks were all friends." And it's like, "Of course they were. Yeah, of course they were friends. Look at what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Actually, their connections to each other, and they're pushing off of each other and mm-hmm. sharing these ideas. Yeah, and having Brock and Picasso is like one of the most famous kind of heavy-handed examples. Yeah, which uh, which I love. You always get like that that like a uh, snotty uh, curator who's having a discussion with somebody, and they're correcting you about who was who was the more more helpful friend was it yeah. Brock or Picasso? It's like, well, you know, yeah. Picasso did that, and they're like, oh, I think it's Brock. Yeah, and you're yeah. just like, shut up. Yeah, but, but but I'll be that guy. But Brock was pretty awesome, though. No, I'm not saying that. Dude, he, wasn't. he really was good. I'm just he like, was so you know, good in those relationships. It's like, where do you where do you find? Yeah, where do you find the beginning? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah trying like, to parse it out. Um, but it's but it's that helpful. Place. Hey, listen, dude, if you're an art historian, you're making money on that distinction. You're trying to you're trying to author the next book that parses that hair. Yeah. <laughs> What was that? <laughs> that was a difference. Oh, dude, I don't. Even, I'm not even saying it. I'm not. This is. I'm not taking any of this bait to talk about anything that you just said because I've got thoughts and it has nothing to do with this conversation. Uh, so I will not take this there. Brain debris. <laughs> so. We're back. <laughs> I'm your host, Ryan Letario, and I'm here with Dr. Blackwell. Hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> what were we just talking about? Uh, definitely not art historians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. No. Um, this is what happens. We're talking about visual jam sessions and uh, the way that we, <laughs> we, we share with each other in different ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we do a whole lot of that sharing. Um, and sometimes people come into the conversation and they, they, uh, they interpret it in a way that actually maybe, uh, conflates what was going on Mm -hmm. and how things were working. So they turn it into some, uh, you know, there's words we've thrown around mystical shamanistic, uh, you know, uh, voodoo weirdness, you know, Mm -hmm. make it some like magical thing instead of like what it was, which was a bunch of people kind of doing work in the same place, influencing each other in one way or another. Yeah. Um, which is a great thing. And it can take some huge pressure off of you. Yeah. To be like, you know what is actually good? If you leave school, mm-hmm. whether you finished or dropped out, whatever the you know, the situation is, and you actually keep learning. Yeah. You actually keep looking at other artists. You yeah. don't get so uh so pious and navel gazing that you're only you know, only posing with your work, yeah. but that you're actually Looking at other people's stuff, yeah, talking about other people's things. Yeah, I think I think a lot of times artists. It, it depends on what city you're in and where what level of person's at. But I think a lot of artists look at work. But I think what I think the finer issue is, um, you know, it's so, so like I think a lot of young artists maybe struggle with it. But as you get older and like you're a working kind mm-hmm. of mature artist, a lot of artists will look at art. Sometimes you just get to the place where you're old and you're like, I've just seen a lot and I only got so much eye space. Yeah. So I've just got to make, you know, I got to make it. But I, I concede that with humility, not like, um, you know, not with ego or arrogance. But I think a lot of times uh, emerging and you, 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 there's a way where you can look um, competitively. So you're always kind of sizing up the competition. Yeah. And I think 
I think I understand that, and I think that's a real human response is to kind of size up the competition. But I think it also can make some of the magic of art go away for you um, if it's always competition because very yeah. few things can scale the wall of your um, your kind of um, moat and castle kind of studio vibe and break in as a friend or someone who inspires or influences. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think, uh, I think in, in a positive uh, over the years, I think Instagram has done a, a lot of, you know, a range of different things, mm-hmm. but I do think it's helped to allow for some people to kind of scale the wall of our, our moat and castle drawbridge, you know, protection mm-hmm. over what we do. And, um, you know, you, you find people that you're like, yeah, I can spend time looking at this work. Like there's two things. There's like something about when you're in the competitive mode, you go to a gallery and you stare at someone's work. You're, you're kind of like, you know, you're looking at it. You're not, I'm not explaining it. And you almost don't want to be seen looking at it. I mean, you're, I, you're uh, checking out game film. People, yeah, people don't want to be, when you're in competitive mode, you almost don't want to be seen looking at other people's work when it's good and it may mm-hmm. rival your own. It, it can get really strange. And of course, no one's really paying attention. Yeah. So the thing about Instagram that's interesting is like there's no one, there's no way for you to be seen looking. Nope. And so it alleviates a little bit of that competitive pressure. Um, I I would love to, and I think that I'm there, and I, I know of artists that are really there that are just generous of spirit, confident in what they do, and excited mm-hmm. about, you know, a, a myriad of other things. And so I think there's a lot of great artists that are just really free in this way. But it's like you you want to you want to have that you want a culture of that kind of um, uh, uh, ease so that you're you're um, more open to the way art can can work on you. You know, yeah. I was saying earlier, like it's tricky with art. You kind of have to come to it a little bit surrendered. And um, most experience, you know, I was saying earlier, you you kind of have to come to them sur- in a surrendered way mm-hmm. in order for anything to possibly shift you or um, expose you or you know. Uh, resonate or whatever you want to call it um, and uh, a lot of words that are often overused but um, but you still have to be open though you know if you're not availing if you don't avail yourself there's just no possibility of most things breaking in and 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 being anything to you and uh, I think um, one of the things that I've wrestled over the years with is like uh, maintaining that openness while making and in being uh, serious about making you know, it's like being open sometimes makes you feel like you're going to be too noodly with your own work. And so it's like hard to bolster your work, be serious and rigorous about it, and then shut off the rigorous eyes and mind when you go to look at others' work. And um, I found that to be a great challenge. I found it to be a really hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, so even when I want to, um, you know, I've said that there's times in my life where I'm like the worst person to go look at art with. Mm-hmm. because I because I can't turn off my critical eyes. And, um, you know, I'm in a decent season right now, mm-hmm. but um, it's taken me a heck of a long time. And there's nothing that says that I'll stay here for very long. Yeah, no, no, I, I feel that. I mean, they're um, pretty much anything I get in the mail. Like, I'm immediately, like, anything that's, like, problematic with the way it's laid out or the way the type interacts or anything like that, or even the printing, like, the 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 actual production processes, like they stand out. Mm-hmm. And not that there's anything wrong with that being a part of that thing, but um, if what you're trying to do is actually like grow, it's not really the place where I think a lot of growth happens. Yeah. You know, and think that, you know, that's the thing that's making 
any design work I do better. Yeah. You know, yeah, to yeah. just to like pick out the stuff I don't want mm-hmm. or to like nitpick to an extent. Right. There's <clears throat> I think there is a space for um, a lot of humility mm-hmm. like coming before a piece. Because um, another thing is, you know, I was, <clears throat> I was talking about with the show we have right now. Uh, some folks came in and uh, one of the one of the people that were they were looking at the show uh, made a comment about a piece that was so so kind of a foreign comment to me because it was so personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was helping me understand that they were only processing the work through themselves first. Mm-hmm. So the work couldn't exist. Like the it, he the, the work was eviscerated yeah. in that moment. It did not exist. It was not important. Yep. It had no power, no mm-hmm. bearing, no value. No say. No say whatsoever. So it was like uh it was like walking into a conversation and somebody says, You lied to me and you're like, wait, no, what huh? Mm-hmm. And you're like, I, okay, you've already made up your mind. So um you know, having to have a conversation of like trying to trying to get the voice for the piece back into mm-hmm. the room. Uh so it has some place to stand. Um, but I think we, we, we do that a lot if the space is just to kind of get what we can get from it. Mm-hmm. Like we, the, the piece is eviscerated. It yeah. becomes an object. It's yep. just, at that point, it's just a commodity. Yeah. Uh, a worthless commodity. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. For that person, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, the practice of that is, is you're not trying to be so open minded that you're eviscerated all the time by other people yourself. And there's this, that's the weird paradox that I was talking about is yeah. there's the, a mutuality here that seems to be at odds, but um, it's, uh, there's just a lot to say there, you know, as far as your identity and, um, yeah. your, your relative availability to experience, um, as you move through your day, mm-hmm. you know, there's times where I breeze through a gallery and I just kind of take in the atmosphere and there's other times where I really engage a work of art. Yeah. Those are different things actually. And, um, yeah. you know, both I think have their place. Um, and, uh, what I've found as I get, I've gotten older is like, the voices of other artists helps me to actually better appreciate works of art um, in my own experience. And so like I've realized that I don't want to get in the way of other people's ability to identify with my work if that means that they process my work through Jasper Johns or some other artists and they say, mm-hmm. you know, like this reminds me of that. I, I used to be annoyed by that when I was younger. And, and I, I guess now I'm, I'm, I'm like um, – not put off by that. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. Like the older, now uh, same thing. You, you get older. Like if I were if I were making works and somebody said something about Jasper Johns and it was positive mm-hmm. in light of my work, I mean, I'd be like, oh my gosh, like, oh, that's, yeah, that's amazing. Thanks. Yeah, you know, like there's something great about that. But but at the same time, <clears throat> I think back to to grad school and doing creative work, and somebody being like, oh, this looks just like so and so, and you're like, ah, crap. Yeah. Because you're fighting to establish yourself, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, it's the, uh, you know, it's uh, not wanting to be in the shadow of somebody, mm-hmm. but instead wanting to be kind of like at equal equal shoulders with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not that we ever really are with some of the people in the canon because we blow them up so much, <clears throat> um, especially after their death when they don't have any say. We also, yeah, every time we try to blow, yeah, it's like we deny the flow of history. Like we don't really promote people under the same rubric mm-hmm. uh now as we did then the the, the sort of the standards have changed the, or they, yeah. they continue to change you know it's like um you know there was a time where we put up and, I, and i'm not talking about i'm not saying this nostalgically yeah, yeah but there was a time where it was like heroes and then there's a time where it's like anti-heroes and i mean real people mm-hmm. so it's like more about the anti-hero and now we're, you know now it's like a rephrasing of that around 
particular social and cultural values and dynamics that may or may not include you. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, if you grew up looking at modernist painters and you're like wishing for sort of the discourse and dialogue and the way in the way that they experience, like we just don't live in that world. Yeah. You know, that's a historical world that already happened. That's the tricky relationship to art history and learning about the people that have come before you is there's these times that you can have a nostalgia for that probably quite, probably weren't quite what they are yeah. or what you think that they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, <clears throat> But at the same time, just can't be now in the same way because the world has changed. Mm-hmm. And I guess the point I was trying to make is if these things we make affect the future, then we should expect to see a change. Yeah. Other, otherwise, then we're we're it's really like make believe as far as like art does this thing. They're like, you know, if, if art does these things or design does these things and making does these things, then we should be somewhere different. Mm-hmm. And so then we would have to look back with from a different perspective on on kind of the history and some of the the voices in the room. And then and then the question is like, how relevant are those voices to where you're at now or where you're headed in your work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and that's a whole other kind of conversation, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I got thoughts on that. I don't really want to bring up right now. Yeah, uh, just because. Yeah, I think it it takes us down a it's different a, road. It's a big conversation. It's a real big conversation. <laughs> but yeah, it's that I was mean, my almost Hulk Hogan, almost Hulk Hogan. Yeah, your brother. Yeah, I'll tell you what, brother. Anyhow, um, well, dude, you, you're almost rocking the Hulk Hogan oh, stash, yeah. man. All I need so. is the bald head. Nah, I wouldn't go there. Yeah, your Wisconsin waterfall. Ooh. Yep. Gross. Yep. <laughs> Steamboat Willie. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so um, I don't know. I think, you know, for me, if I if I think about, like, what we've been talking about today, if I think about... What the heck have we been talking about today, Gareth? I don't even know. I haven't been here the whole time. Yeah. These are just actually clips from other episodes that we just spliced in. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> it almost sounds true, so it's, no, it's, it's probably not good. Um, I, I'm I'm not here. I'm just an AI. Yeah. That's uh, they've mm-hmm. over over 98 episodes. They've learned about how I speak. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm. Welcome that's to Chaco Arts Bake. I'm here with my AI colleague. Hey, <laughs> hello, hello. I'm Gareth Blackwell. For more about art, please press. <laughs> Too yeah, um, but the uh, I think you know, the, the kind of big takeaway for me in this is like it, it, there really is like a there, there's a chance to kind of relax, um, you know it's nice to kind of sit at the feet of bigger people yeah you know and and also to understand that there are a lot of bigger people out there no matter where you are in terms of your career your practice or whatever um, and there are bigger people out there that you haven't found and maybe other people haven't found mm-hmm. you know so it's not just like who are the folks that I need? It's like no, there are people making all the time. And yeah, you may be you may community. be actually the bigger person in your context, but not realize there's some other folks that are swimming yeah. around that are that are just doing incredible things. Yeah. And I, I like to think of it as like get into your artistic hot tub, turn the jet bubbles on, lean back, have and a hot dog. have a hot dog, and then and then go make something. Yeah, and let let your friends be in the hot tub and have a great conversation, mm-hmm. and uh, don't be threatened too much by it. And um, and maybe I'm just talking to myself right now. Well, I mean, but the thing is, is like what you're describing, you're literally describing grad school. Yeah. The thing that people uh, will bitch about while they're in it. Yeah. But they'll pine for for the rest of their life. Exactly. What the hey? This is so much work and I'm 
desperately unhealthy and it's yeah. so hard and the teachers are all just jerks. Yeah. And then you get out and you're like, man, you I remember wish the that community we had? We had community and like We're always hanging out. I wish I could get more. It's like, I hate every studio visit. And then you're done with school and you're like, I wish I had studio visits. Remember that couch that gave everybody diphtheria? Oh. It was great. Yeah, that, that couch. <laughs> You have no idea what I did on that couch. <laughs> yeah, everybody got bed bugs from that yeah, couch. I slept on that couch. <laughs> Six nights a week. Dude, um, when I was in grad school at VCU, <laughs> me and me and uh, another artist named Josh one summer played a lot of ping pong. Yeah, dude. Got really good at it, and then they took the ping pong table away. Man, the past Yeah, days. man. It's like they didn't realize that ping pong was helping me become a better artist. Dude, it's... Uh, uh, it's um, it's like the helpful activities you need. You got to have them, man. You got to alleviate. It's like going outside for a cigarette break. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's maybe better. I'd say ping pong's better for your lungs. Yeah, hands. but it's, it's the same. Borderline aerobic. It scratches the same itch. It's like a, a release because you're in there, mm-hmm. you know, and expected to be robots. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, like relentless robots. And some people are vicious. I mean, they just get in and, like, cook. They make. Mm-hmm. And I've had seasons like that, you know. But, um, yeah, it's... Um. Yeah, it almost can become uh, for me dehumanizing. I, I, I become too yeah. isolated if I'm alone too long. I lose my relational tact very quickly. Mm-hmm. You kind of if I spend too much time in the studio, like legitimately doors closed by myself, painting for for days or weeks or months on end, mm-hmm. I kind of forget how to use words. Yeah, yeah, for real. I start to lose track of social cues. I can become a very different person. Yeah, it's always been a difficulty for me. It's like inner dialogues you have in your head. Like I think when you're in a a studio space by yourself or anything of that nature, um, for me those inner dialogues become like verbalized. Uh huh. And then there's like the social check of like, okay, you can't say that. Yeah. Like you can't you can't tell that person that thing right now. Mm-hmm. You know what, you know what I think will help you. <laughs> I don't see. What pray tell? <laughs> I think you should put on reruns of Jack Hanna's uh, Wild Adventures. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> okay. I, I just want to leave it there. I just want you to turn on. <laughs> okay. I can tell you why. I think if you put on Jack Hanna's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Gareth does not trust me at all anymore, folks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, it's, it, no, it, what it is, it's at this place where I trust you and I'm not sure where to put that trust sometimes. <laughs> that's, that's so it's right. one of these where I'm just like, there might actually be something there. <laughs> that you're darn right there is. I'll be, so in a few weeks, I'll come back and be like, let me tell you guys something. Yep. Jack Hanna changed yeah. my life. He's, he's, there's an aesthetic there. There's no, a voice. There is. There's a calm. There's an intensity. Dude, he was on so many commercials when I was a kid because wasn't he like uh, selling like magazines or like little monthly book subscription oh, yeah. things or oh, something? Yeah. See, you're already going down that path, dude. Heck yeah, man. I mean, hey, you. <laughs> Yeah, uh, for everything he, my brain doesn't. He have. can do some of what Bob Ross can do. Wait, what? Yeah, I know. What put like living things in his paintings? Yeah, I mean besides trees. Um, yeah. Uh, man. Uh, I'm just trying to. I, I'm just having all these Jack Hanna memories come back now. <laughs> Makes no sense. I don't know where those things were locked away. Yeah. Yeah. Mutual of Omaha. No, that was not Jack Handy. Hanna. <laughs> no, that was a uh, Wild America. Yeah. Um, dude, I remember that intro, like just like eagles snatching up bunnies out of the field. Absolutely, and, like, uh, that's when you giant knew it was elk real. just clacking together. Yep. Yeah, dude. Man, I think that's a great place to end it. It probably Americana. is. I mean, it makes as much sense as uh, anywhere else we end episodes. I think. <laughs> and we're done. <laughs>
Hey, uh, as always, <laughs> y'all done. are fantastic. The fact that um, y'all listen to us through what is now 99 episodes. We're going to be dropping episode 100, 100, 100, 100. Episode 100. We have no idea what's going to be episode 100, but we are going to try our hardest to make it special. Because if you've been with us up to episode 99, which is this episode right this here, one now. episode 100 is going to be 100 times better than episode one. Yes. <laughs> Easily. Easy. Also, uh, y'all haven't heard how bad the first one we actually recorded was. Because no one's heard it. <laughs> it's really bad quality. If you want to hear the first episode, it will require you to donate $50 to Shaco Art Space. Man, that's not a bad idea. I know. I just thought of it right now. Yeah. I think it's good. We are literally holding it. Here's, we're going to auction episode one off to the highest bidder. All proceeds go to support our building campaign for Shaco Art Space. Sold. Think about it. Just think about it. You know, Wu Tang Clan did the million dollar album that only one someone paid a million dollars to own it. They and made that, one album. That ain't nothing to mess with. That ain't nothing to mess with. And so what I'm saying is, we've got our first episode that no one's heard. You can be yours exclusively, yeah, for the little price of <laughs> donated to Shocker Space. Yeah, we'll break it out of the Disney Vault for you. Yes, we will. We'll break it out of the vault. Yeah, starting bids at um, in one k. One K. One K. That's it. Just one K. Just yeah. one. Just one K. I don't want an A, no, a B, or a C, or a D, or an L, or an M. I just no. want one K. That's right. <laughs> it's one K. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, so yep. we love you all. You're a fantastic audience. I uh, appreciate you so much, and we will catch you for number hundo. Later. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.